I loved getting up in the morning. I clap my hands and say, this is going to be a great day. Swick Technologies presents the Leading Business Podcast, helping you leverage technology to accelerate your growth. The key to this business is personal relationships. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is Shane, and you're listening to the Leading Business Podcast brought to you by SwickTech. SwickTech offers managed IT services designed to help your business use technology to provide your team and your customers with the best possible experience. We offer networking, server, and cloud solutions, along with tons of IT expertise for any business scenario. Hey there, so this is Eric with SwickTech, and uh, whether you're a business that has no uh, IT or you're self-managing your IT uh, team or you're outsourcing it, we can help in any area of IT with a number of offerings to meet your business where it's at in terms of that IT support, uh, align with your needs, your goals, and even help with strategic planning. So we're happy to uh, come back for another SwickTech Leading Business podcast this week. Shane, how was your wonderful weekend of hot Um, weather? (laughs) <laughs> it was it was super hot on Saturday. Like we were, I went and saw some friends. We sat outside at a, a picnic table, and it was we had to move like four times to get to the shade because it was so hot between the sun and the humidity. So it was toasty, but it was good. Got to see some some friends that since you know the pandemic and everything haven't hung out with in a while. So that was a good opportunity. Um, and then helped uh, my parents cut down some trees, which was definitely an experience. So How about you? A lot of work. It was definitely hot out. I went camping for the first time with both of our kids and our family, and nice. uh, we socially camped and distanced from a couple of relatives that had stopped by or camped also. So it was a really great experience. Uh, fresh air was really good for the kids. And uh, great, great experience, just very different than how I remember camping as a young single man uh, canoeing the Boundary Water canoe area. So probably um, way different than you would have thought your first camping experience with the kiddos and everything would have gone as well. The heat advisory and and rain didn't help (laughs) the scenario (laughs) too much, but we managed and it was good. It was really nice. I I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, Just different. That's all. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but we're back here today, batteries recharged, uh, ready to go. And I guess I'm excited to get into today's topic, which is security breaches. And we want to kind of take an approach of determining what may have happened if we can reverse engineer these to identify where a problem may have occurred. Some of these we're, we're going to be able to do better than others. Not all the information is reported on, especially in the uh, private sector. And some of these are so much larger than what we would normally even deal with. So it's just kind of a fun exercise to go through and, and talk about. Yeah, I'm excited to, to check some of these out. Like you said, uh, it's not super obvious maybe what happened in some of these scenarios, but it's good just to talk through that these breaches are happening, right? And to see the, the frequency of some of them. And hopefully we can enlighten some folks on what these breaches look like and what they can do to protect themselves so that um, their own businesses don't have to be susceptible to these attacks. Yeah, I guess that that is the central thesis of them. I guess the one that I think most people are likely aware of, and if they're not, um, you know, we'll be happy to enlighten and inform you a little bit, but Twitter had quite 
a large data breach um, and large in magnitude, I think, just in terms of the scare of what that could really mean. And we have a couple articles that we pulled up about it, but um, I know Shane, if you want to kind of paint a broad broad stroke of what happened, we we can kind of cover a little bit more in detail here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to your point, yeah, this was you know huge just purely because of the number of accounts that were hacked, as well as right, it's Twitter, and and I don't know, everyone is on Twitter. I mean, I don't really use Twitter, but I have a Twitter. I've certainly browsed Twitter, I've certainly tweeted. I know, you know, everyone at least knows what Twitter is, right? And in some form or fashion is aware that even our president <laughs> tweets. So um, that's the big part of this. It wasn't like a large monetary outlay or so to speak or anything like that. But essentially what happened, uh, some unknown hackers and from some recent articles, it sounds like kind of a random slew of people like random hackers, not even like some conglomerate or organization overseas or something like that. A couple of guys just got together and figured out how to hack into like some crazy number of Twitter accounts. It was like 130 or 150 accounts. And a good chunk of those were verified accounts, right? So essentially famous people or celebrities or political figures. Uh, so a couple of those I think were like Bill Gates's account um, Elon Musk, uh, and, a, and a handful of other people. And uh, what they did that was public facing that everyone got a hold of right away was they posted tweets from a couple of these accounts saying, you know, I want to pay it forward or I want to pay people back. Um, so here's my Bitcoin address. And if you deposit Bitcoin to me, I'm going to send you back double the Bitcoin. I don't know why people fall for that in the first place. It seems like an interesting charitable trick anyway, regardless of the person. But anyway, some of these verified accounts posted that. Um, and I want to say the hackers brought in like $120,000 worth of Bitcoin. Um, I don't know what that's worth at this point, right? Since they were shut down and everything, but uh, Twitter figured it out pretty quick. They disabled or suspended those accounts and then got the folks whose accounts they were back into them um, when the time was right. Uh, and up front, there wasn't really a lot of detail on what access they had gotten, um, how they had gotten into these accounts. We don't really know what happened. Um, Twitter has started to share some of the information behind it. You know, it's scary because it's like, how can you hack Twitter. This, this, well, Twitter itself, but right, but you can think like, okay, one Twitter account, sure, you got Johnny's password and you got into his account. Sure. But if you're hacking into 130, you know, 150 accounts at once, does that mean you found a flaw in Twitter's security, like in the general broader network that Twitter's hosting? Or I mean, the accounts they went after, like you had mentioned, these are high profile verified accounts Bill Gates, yeah. Bezos, Elon Musk, Apple. Um, yeah. I mean, and and even, you know, the geopolitical landscape for this, uh, I think at some point we may have talked about deep fakes, maybe on this show or at a webinar um, where you can really impersonate someone physically, uh, di you know, like digitally. We should uh, we should test that out at some point here on this show, because I am not. I still haven't seen that in action. I know what it is, like, right? Like I've researched it and whatnot, um, but it sounds 
fascinating to try it out and see if like the technology exists on the consumer level it's not much more complicated than what a snapchat filter is where you put a filter over your face if that filter is donald trump and people are looking at headlines only and some somehow his account was hacked on twitter as a verified account you have nothing else that could create one heck of a headache you know and and same thing with like biden right his account is there and up for grabs if, if it gets breached so you know, the money is less important in this particular example. $120,000 is nothing compared to the damage they could do with the election year being here and all this other scary technology that does exist on top of it. Yeah, and there was, I mean, there was more to it. Um, Twitter came out and said that of those accounts, like eight or something, uh, non-verified. So not, we're not talking about the um, famous people or celebrities or anything like that at this point, but like eight or so of those accounts, some of their private messages and things like that were actually downloaded. So yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot, right? Twitter seems so simple. You tweet and retweet stuff, but there's a lot of data there that maybe isn't available to the public eye. And if you got your ac- your hands on some of that, now maybe you can get access to these folks' other accounts and stuff. Like it's, it's a snowball effect, right? Like it's scary. And this one's interesting because it's, you know, I wouldn't say it's an insider threat, but it's not from like some group in Russia. These are just four young people here in the U.S. And if you try to read the story, it's actually it's a little confusing because uh, some of the usernames that they're going by, like, is it Kirk, LOL, um, ever so anxious. These are the names of the accounts. And these people are chatting on, you know, a uh, an app or a program or platform called Discord. And so they just kind of happenstance fell into each other, started a conversation, and it led to this, which is making at least national headlines, right? I mean, we're talking about it. So if a couple of kids could figure this out uh, over the internet, it's it's a little alarming. Uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. So I'm curious, like like you said, we don't really have the what happened in this scenario, right? We don't know all the facts and details. If it's Twitter's fault, if it's not Twitter's fault if these guys just got access to it or what. Um, so I'm curious to see how that boils down. Um, I do think this is a good opportunity to warn people, like, don't use the same password across different applications, right? Like your Twitter password should be unique because if they get in there and then they find out your password to your bank account because it's the same one, um, that's like a major security concern. Uh, And then also, uh, I know, I think we sing this tune every single week, but you need multi-factor or two-factor authentication on your accounts, right? There should be some sort of verifiable way to try and stop these people from getting into your account, even if they get your information. Yep. Yeah, even like I, you know, because I work for Swift Technologies, I have enabled MFA on my Facebook, my Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So all of those things are protected by a multi-factor authentication using an authenticator app now. And they weren't before. I didn't take that stuff as seriously as maybe I should have beforehand. But now it's it's like, it's so easy to set up. And I've noticed even just um, on Instagram, a number of accounts have been hacked. And it's things like, you know, hey, I finally got those photos you were looking for. I'm like, what? And you see these messages coming through from other accounts because they've been compromised. And I'm pretty confident that's not going to happen to me 
because if someone tries to compromise my account, I'm going to get an alert. It's pretty straightforward. It's a really great way to protect yourself. Um, and you should be doing it personally if you can too, for those listening. Yeah, especially um, for people like you and I and small businesses and stuff, I feel like MFA goes a long way to stopping nearly any attack, right? There, there's reports out there that some of these larger hacking conglomerations can can breach MFA in certain ways and stuff like that. But sure. that seems that's so few and far between. And more often than not, it's someone guessing your password or brute forcing your account and getting past your password to get into your account or tricking you into giving them your credentials. So yeah, I think MFA goes a long way for, for the average Joe and the, you know, the traditional small business that we interact with so often. Yeah. Um, so kind of jumping over to that a little bit more, some of these other examples we have are a little less consumer, a little bit less Twittery, um, and more along the lines of small business, right? And the ransomware stuff. So I think we've got a couple related to uh, double extortion attacks, and we can get into what these, what happened with these ones. Um, but first, I want to just call out what that means. So uh, everyone's kind of at least tangentially aware of what ransomware is, right? The concept where someone encrypts your data and then tells you you can't have it back unless you pay me. Um, that's kind of been the traditional ransomware concept that's been exploding um, over the last couple of years in small businesses because there's money to be had there. People don't have their data backed up and they need to get it back. So they have to pay these ransoms. Um, well, now, you know, people are getting smarter, technology is getting better. And so the backups are improving. These hackers have kind of evolved and they realize this person might not pay me to get their data back. So how am I going to convince them to pay me otherwise? And what they're doing is they're taking your data and then before they encrypt it, they're saving it somewhere else where they have access to it. Then they're encrypting your version and they're saying, pay me back and I'll decrypt it. Oh, and by the way, if you don't, I'm going to start releasing your data out on the internet. And that's really scary when you think about these small businesses, you know, that could be personally identifiable information for your employees all kinds of stuff, you know, your proprietary technology that you have for your business, like that's a, that could be a huge blow to a small business. When you think about like just from a DR and backup standpoint, DR stands for disaster recovery. You know, oftentimes people are thinking about the data that their company can run on, but you know, there's other things like data loss protection where you have to protect the data that you're holding on to if that's customer credit card information customer information client information employee information like social security numbers checking accounts for routing and payments and things like that um, the list of that kind of info info is probably endless there we yeah. could sit here and name every single we go over every single file in our environment and talk about what concerning information it has that's important to our business you know yeah, it's so to that to that point, like, I don't think a uh, bad actor needs to make it too far into your network, at least from some of the examples we had uncovered. Uh, one company had, you know, jettisoned the attackers out pretty quickly and then secured the hatches, but they were in there long enough to get enough information to then extort them. And they didn't even get to the good stuff. You know, they got just enough to say, OK, well, if you don't pay us, we're going to release this stuff. And it's like a hostage situation. Like, if you don't pay, we're going to start taking hostages. 
and that's in the form of releasing stuff to the dark web. And you have a responsibility as a business to your employees and your clients or customers um, to maintain the integrity of that data and protect them. And so, you know, a lot of these companies, from what we've read, uh, and there's many stories like this. It just a quick Google search, you're going to find uh, more examples than you can take a stick at. Um, these companies are paying up because it's too scary, right? Uh, they need to validate that stuff, but then they have to tell their clients too that that had happened, and they were able to protect their information or not. Yeah, I mean, one of these examples that we have here, this was a like cloud hosting and software provider, right? So it's, I mean, they're traditionally like an IT company, right? They, the article mentions how they have a cybersecurity team. So they have a team of security experts in-house already that detected these guys on their network and it was still too late. So, I mean, these, they're, and this company is probably fairly smart about security and trying to protect themselves, right? They, and they realized the threat pretty quick um, and it still didn't matter. I want to say that was a pretty hefty payout too. I'm not seeing it here in uh, 350,000 to decrypt their files and that, and they didn't even need to decrypt anything, right? It was just the attackers had the files and we're going to start publishing stuff. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's scary. It's, it's one of those things now where you're, it's less about what can I do to get myself up and running from a backup and a disaster recovery standpoint? And what can I do to try and make myself not a target for these guys? And I think you and I have mentioned this before, and you're really good at explaining this, Eric, and so maybe you can touch on it. Um, but the perspective of, uh, it's it's a matter of, of when at this point, not if, if you're going to be at least in some sense attacked or someone's going to try and get your data. So what can you do to make yourself less of a target yourself um, right, I think the, the rhetoric is that it's, um, you know, I, that terminology, it's not if, it's when. I think, you know, people are used to hearing that, but you, look, there's a net being put into the into the ocean, and they're just pulling up whatever they can. And so if if your business is in that net when they bring it into the hull, it's, if there's a weakness, they're just simply going to exploit it. If it's, if you have a little bit more um, of a stronger security posture and you have some more defenses up, they're not going to waste their time on that. They can move on to the easier targets. So you mm -hmm. want to secure yourself enough to make it unattractive for them or more work for them to try to crack that thing open, so to speak. So I always, I mean, I always say, I guess, but what I've heard is treat your network like it's infected now because the businesses that take it seriously have had an infection. They've had a, an outbreak and ransomware attack. They take it more seriously than anybody because they've been through it and they understand the, the negative impact that has both from like a monetary standpoint, but also a reputation standpoint. So, you know, if you can start to think that way now and prevent yourself from having to go through that to take it serious, that's a better, I mean, it's proactive versus reactive. So every business I've ever talked to that's been through this takes it more seriously than I can explain. And everyone that hasn't is like, it's not going to happen to me. Okay. You know, maybe not, you know, maybe, maybe if you're taking a lot of the precautions, the people that say that typically aren't taking those types of precautions. So, you know, this doesn't need to become a big soapbox thing. It's just, again, do a Google search and see what's out there. These uh, double extortion attacks have really only emerged as recent as Q4 of last year of 2019. And they're only gaining more traction. And guess what? This company didn't, this attacker didn't encrypt the files. They just got the data and they were paid $350,000.
that money is getting reinvested into their efforts to go do more of this work. So they're going to become more prevalent because it's being funded. That's how this stuff works. When they have success, their success breeds more success. Um, it just is, it's kind of alarming. You know, so you want to do as much as you can with what you have uh, from a resource and, and monetary standpoint to protect yourself to avoid something like this from happening to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, and like you said, these have just these are pretty recent, right? The double extortion concept is kind of just picked up last Q4. Yeah, um, the example we talked about just now from a company called Blackbound that happened in May of 2020, right? So that was two months ago. The other example um, comes from a company I think they're called Orange. Yeah, I believe it's a telecommunications company, and they have, they have a handful of different businesses, and this. This was days ago. This was released on the 15th. Um, it sounds like they were compromised over like the holiday weekend, July 4th. Um, and this one seems a little bit more straightforward, right? They they admit what division of their company, like their business solutions team, got hacked into, and they installed some ransomware on someone's computer and took the data, and then we're starting to encrypt it. Um, this to me, in the what happened sense, this feels like that person, um, you know, whatever their their computer was on an unsecured network, or heaven forbid, maybe their corporate network wasn't secure enough, and this person got onto this onto their computer, whether that be through, you know, some sort of phishing email, and they clicked a link and downloaded a malicious file, um, or you know, something similar along those lines. Uh, and there's a lot of ways that this could have been prevented, right? So they probably needed the person's credentials to get onto the computer to get into the network to do this. So number one, don't give your credentials out, right? This person may have clicked on a link and typed in their username and password thinking they were logging into a, a document that someone sent them or something along those lines. Um, and then also, if you don't know where this stuff is coming from, don't interact with it, right? Be sure you are expecting the things that you're interacting with. So, um, you know, there's, we could, we could beat on the MFA drum again here, right? If you had MFA <laughs> and you type in your credentials, maybe this person would have been in. Um, and then really just the general security across the board, your network should be secure. Um, you should have antivirus software on these computers that would have maybe prevented this from getting in or at least alerted you that it was there before the person could do any damage. Um, and then your general, uh, your, your firewall, your internet edge security needs to be more robust. And if you're letting people take their computers off site, which obviously is, is a common need nowadays, right? With working from home and stuff, you better make sure that those individual computers are protected and that those people aren't on, you know, public networks that could be fished or, you know, it could be honeypots so that the people can get onto your computer. There's all kinds of education that should go into teaching your employees what they should and shouldn't be doing from offsite. Yep. Yep. And training is a big part of that as the last line of defense. And we just did a webinar last week. And that was a big component of that webinar is the training side of that. So like Swick Tech will go as far as helping deploy like a phishing test and see who bites, so to speak. And then we have some awareness around here's the percentage of people without calling anybody out that clicked on this, that for had foregone sharing their credentials, their login credentials. 
And then we do training around that, how to identify these things, what to look for, how to avoid it, what not to do, what to do. Um, and then we deploy that test again shortly thereafter, and we look at the, you know, the difference and change. And inevitably, there's always still going to be some people that click it. You know, our, our goal is to try to make those things look as legitimate as possible, where you don't even question it. And maybe if you do, you're like, no, this seems right. Like I did just move, so I should update my, you know, whatever information on this website. Or I did just get married, so you know, people that are doing these um, attacks oftentimes are going to that level of depth to determine how to deploy attack that can speak to that person or that end user. So they're looking for catalyst events like marriages, buying a house, moving, COVID. Um, we've seen a number of increases of the bait being COVID related, like donate money to this organization or to that organization or be mindful of your health records. So change this. So you know, there's, there's definitely never a shortage of ways that a, an attack could be um, kind of engineered or put together. It's it's how you approach it and identify those things that makes a big difference. And then you talk about the security tools that you have both physically um, from like a firewall standpoint and switching and networking. You're all the way down to the software that you deploy from antivirus and then some of the tactics like MFA where you have a layered approach to minimize the number of those attacks that are coming through and then training people against it. So if they do make it through, they're sniffing those things out. I mean, that's kind of the yeah. spectrum of how you can really approach that stuff. Yeah, I mean, and this is... Uh... This was no small company, and just to kind of give a little bit more of the story here, this Orange Telecommunications Company, it's one of the fourth largest mobile providers in Europe. They had like 148,000 employees, um, and it mentioned that the hackers got data on like 20 of their enterprise customers. So, I mean, that's scary to think they got information on all their customers. They, I think they leaked some of that information since they wouldn't pay the ransom. So um, point is it safe to say that our information has without a doubt been leaked somewhere on the, on the internet as individuals. It's definitely. Like when the attacks happen at this magnitude, my gosh. There's a website that you can look at and see if your information has been compromised. It's called Have I Been Pwned? And it's P-W-N-E-D, which I think derived from like gamers. Uh, if you got yep, pwned. That's correct. Yeah. Um, so that's a good resource to just see if you've been exposed in some fashion, like it will tell you if certain sites have been hacked that you have an account on. And then the action that you ought to take then is go to that site and update your information, you know, change your password, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. And then we have another one here, um, calling out a phishing email or brute force attack and some general trends. Uh, this is coming from, I think the healthcare vertical, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, I believe it's the School of Medicine at uh, UCSF. They paid 100, I'm sorry, 1.14 million to decrypt files after a ransomware attack. They're hit by an opportunistic malware attack. So again, that net being cast, looking for weaknesses to expose. That mm -hmm. happened on June 1st. And the encrypted data was important to some of the academic work we pursue as a university serving the public good, as officials had said, uh, it was a quote. So just a simple opportunistic malware attack. Yeah, um, it's, man, it's, it's hard to read some of these and see, you know, all the details and everything what happened. And and so recent too, you know, we tried to look for recent examples, but then realizing that in looking for recent examples, they haven't fully figured out what had happened yet in some cases. These are pretty fresh stories. Well, and you mentioned, right, they paid 
a ransom of $1.14 million in this case to decrypt their files. How can you even begin to make that decision if you're put in a position where you either have to, you know, start over or pay some exorbitant amount of money to get your data back? And now you're hamstring because you don't you don't have any money left, right? That was everything you had in the bank, so to speak. Um, or you have to pay all this money literally just to hope that the hacker doesn't give away your information. Right, and there's no guarantee that they will or won't. Yeah. And they've already, they've already proved themselves as like a criminal, right? So how are you going to trust a criminal? They obviously don't follow the right. rules of the law anyways. <laughs> and I mean, the, it, this, and I think this article even says it somewhere in here, uh, you know, the U.S. Department of Health and the FBI and other other enforcement agencies, um, generally speaking, say, you know, it's not really a good idea to pay this ransom back. But then you think, well, what if this was me? What if, you know, you built a company from the ground up um, with your bare hands and 100 hours a week for the last 30 years, and now you're on the precipice of losing the entire thing, right? All of your data has been encrypted. How can how can you say you wouldn't pay that to try and get it back? Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a really sounds like another episode to pay or not to pay. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy um, to think like you can't even begin to assess this. There's so much that goes into whether or not you should pay it back. And, and that's, the, that's the logic behind when I say treat your network like it's already infected and how would you act? I mean, you just painted that scenario pretty well. If you're that distressed business owner in that particular predicament, which you could find yourself in, you know, tonight, tomorrow morning, like whenever you hear this, it's very possible. That's how that stuff happens. It's like, oh, it's a regular day. And then, and then suddenly we realized we couldn't do our job or this happened. And yeah, are you willing to fork out the money and pay that for a gamble in hopes that you'll get it back? Or would you just trust that you're actually protected and you can have some peace of mind there so you can sleep at night? I choose the latter, man. That's definitely you, you know, at Switchtech. So um, that might be a good spot to, to wrap up. And I know we wanted to call out, we do have another uh, lunch and learn, something that we call brain food events here at Switchtech that have really, they used to be in person uh, with everything going on. We've really transitioned to a webinar uh, approach. And Shane, I think you're leading the next one. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to talk about Microsoft Planner. Uh, I think next week, Wednesday, so July 29th uh, at 3 p.m. And we're going to dive into how you can use Microsoft Planner. It's actually, you know, I've been using it a lot more lately, obviously, since we're, we're hosting a webinar on it. It's been a great tool to kind of manage not only my own tasks, but maybe some projects and other folks' tasks. Um, and just get organized, right? And tie that organization to some teams and goals. Um, so I'm, I'm super pumped to show people how they can use it. We'll be diving into just kind of the general basics of what Planner is, how to use it, um, and then how it integrates with the Microsoft 365 stack and all the other tools and features like Teams and OneDrive and SharePoint. So pumped to talk through that a little bit more. Uh, like I said, July 29th at 3 p.m. So we'll... Uh, uh, I don't know, Eric, can we throw the link to that in this podcast somehow in the description? Yeah, I think we post it, we can put it in our, yeah, in their here's, social channels. Here's the podcast wizard, so. Yeah, we'll put our show notes. That's great. Cool. Well, thanks All for right. tuning in.
Yeah, thanks everybody. We'll talk to you soon.